of socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Sally. Welcome to episode 75 of You Don't Have to Yell, the only podcast dedicated to stopping our electoral insanity that I know of. If this is your first time listening and you want to know more about what this is all about, visit ydhty.com. It is your bad boy of nonpartisan political podcasting. And as I am recording this, we're as close to a democratic crisis as we've ever been in recent history. I'm going to talk more about that during the break, but I think it's clear to most people that the current system is not working out so well. And for the last couple of weeks, I've featured two organizations looking to implement ranked choice voting in their states. And this week, we have a guest looking to get it implemented nationally. Mitch Randall, founder of National Ranked Choice Voting, saw our system of elections as flawed and an engineer by trade look to fix it. And his plan involves states banding together in an interstate pact to combine their votes for president and pick the winner via ranked choice voting. It's a novel concept that we had a long conversation about and also talked a little bit about the problems with the current system and how you can get involved. I'll be back at the end with some final thoughts. I have Mitch Randall of National Ranked Choice Voting, which can be found at breaktheduopoly.org. Mitch, how are you? Good. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming on. I have to ask, how was the uh, how was the move? I'm still in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. to give everyone on the web an idea as to what a total pain in the ass I can be, um, Mitch and I were trying to figure out a time. I've actually been really psyched to talk to to talk to you, Mitch, since our first interaction and really psyched to get this going. And so the thing that was delaying it is that Mitch was moving. So he said, well, I'm going to be moving and I'm going to be in my new place on Sunday. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, how about Monday? Like not even thinking, you know, you could be like sitting there with like moving boxes behind you. Maybe the Internet isn't set up. Maybe you had to do this in a Starbucks. So thank you, Mitch, for for bearing with me and 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 with my uh, with my extreme forwardness. Um, yeah. So it's funny. I can't remember how I found your organization, but I remember clicking on the link and looking and reading it and being like, where have you been all my life? And I think I might've said that in the first email I sent you guys actually. Um, so for the folks who are listening, can you just tell us what the mission of your organization is? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're stuck right now in a, in an oligarchy, right? And mm -hmm. according to Chris Hedges, when you're in oligarchy, you either have tyranny or revolution. So, but for me, I think I found another solution. And that, that was what, uh, you know, came to be when I founded this organization is to push through this. But basically, I think there's a way where we can peacefully get out of the oligarchy. Mm -hmm. And, and it all hinges on our voting system. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people it's a two-step plan. You know, the first thing is to change our voting system. And then the second thing is to vote people in but um you know our you know to us our voting system the voting system that we're going to put in there is really just a means to an end i mean if it were 
dancing on the table naked, I say, you know, we would do that. Yeah. Whatever it takes, because what we want to do is by 2024, we want to get new representation in, like sweeping new representation, because I'm tired of the Democrats and Republicans. So that's kind of like the short version of what we're up to. But we actually found a plan that can do it. So that's the that's the whole trick. Yeah. And now how'd you get, before we get into the plan, which is really cool, how'd you How'd you get into this? How'd you come across the plan? Well, I mean, you know, for me, it started with Jill Stein because she said, hey, we can have ranked choice voting. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And we can do it with the stroke of a pen. And I really had no idea what she was talking about. But when I looked into it, it just blew my mind that, wait a minute, there are different voting systems. I, mm-hmm. I, it just didn't even occur to me because, you know, let's say there's 10 candidates and you just mark a little mark next to the one you want, like what else? That's yeah. that's the voting system. And that's what I grew up with. That's what we use everywhere. I had no idea that there was another voting system. But when I saw that there's something called ranked choice voting, and then I saw what it is, it was kind of like mind blow because I started to realize, you know, oh my God, look what this one does compared to what, when you can compare A to B and one of them actually works and you see how dysfunctional the other one is, mm-hmm. it was very, very enlightening. And you know, as the, as months went on and whatever, it just um, it, it has just become more and more clear how dysfunctional our voting system is. And I can tell you more about that later because there's some crazy stuff about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I and I told you this, too, when we, when we had that first conversation, you know, when I started this whole thing, I this was actually a project geared towards campaign finance reform. And for me <clears throat> and I at that I at the time, again, very much the same mission as you. I, at the time, was very concerned that there was an oligarchy. There was a small cadre of well-funded special interests that were effectively dictating policy, uh, whether or not the voters wanted it. And as I started to dig in to different electoral systems, and as I started to look into the ones that function the best, what I found was, you know, on the whole, their campaign finance systems aren't all that different than ours. Um, What is different is the way they vote. Mm-hmm. And and the way they apportion people to Parliament, which is far different than ours. Um, I don't want to steal your thunder, so why don't you talk <laughs> about this this system you discovered and and how it can be how it can improve on American democracy? Yeah, well, I mean, to do that, let me we'll talk about the current system, right? Yeah. So the current system, um, you know, what what occurred to me at some point is. Um, cause uh, my background is engineering. We haven't talked about that at all, but mm-hmm. my background is engineering. So I'm into systems. I'm into like how things work, the mechanics of a system. And, and, uh, it occurred to me that because of our voting system, you're guaranteed to have two parties. So that's just going to naturally happen. Mm-hmm. But because there's two parties, um, and that's because of vote splitting. In other words, I mean, I can just go through it really quick, but, you know, let's say there are two parties and a third one wants to enter. And, you know, we do this every election. There's always a third party that you want to vote for, but you can't. And the reason you can't vote for it is because it's going to take a vote away from the candidate that sucks, but you at least like them a little bit better. Yeah. And it's going to give the election away to the candidate that really sucks, that you hate, you know, worse. So you can never break in. Once you get the, that duopoly going, you can never break in with our current voting system because mm-hmm. of that thing called vote splitting or, you know, the spoiler effect, they call it. Yeah, it's the, the first past the post system. It's, yeah, first past the post. And, yeah. and we're, we're trying to relabel it because, uh, um, 
So we call it one mark voting or one mark pigeonhole voting because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that describes what you're doing. You're, you're putting in one mark, but the pigeonhole thing really catches it too because you get pigeonholed into those two parties and there's no way out. But yeah. see, once, once you do have those two parties, so this is an overview of first past the post or, you know, one mark pigeonhole voting. Once you have gotten yourself into a duopoly, you're going to have maximal corruption. So mm-hmm. I kind of went through them and proved that in one of my videos where I show, um, you know, if one party, let's say one party was four times as good as the others, or so, you know, one party gets 25% or whatever, and the other party gets 75%, let's say, of all votes. Well, that it becomes really easy for that party that's so far ahead to take some donor money, you know, and start making some deals and start doing, you know, mm-hmm. do whatever it wants to do because it has so much wiggle room. Yeah. And so, you know, it's going to, let's say, eventually what's going to happen is both parties kind of come to the middle where they're both maximally corrupt mm-hmm. because if they were a little bit more corrupt then the other one would win. So they're really having a race to, to try to not to be too maximally corrupt, you know? And so it, it's much easier to find a billionaire and have them give you money to make advertisements than it is to, to engage the whole country, you know, and have millions of people give you $3. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's part of that system. Yeah, it's it's funny. This is something I mention in a lot of episodes is that right now I could put money on who was going to win the 2022 midterm congressional elections. 90% I would be 90% right. Mm-hmm. So I could tell you who 90% of the people who are going to be in office in 2022 are because their districts are just that safe. And when your districts are that safe, all you really need to do is just make sure you can't be primaried and you're safe, which means if I'm looking to influence policy, I know exactly where I'm going to pour my money into because I know who's going to be there. And, and I think this also creates this polarization we have today where you have these safe districts. And so as a result, your fear is more your own party than it is any other ideas and so you really always have to be fighting the extreme end of your party, which just seems to get worse and worse every election cycle. Um, well, you know, I can't remember what year. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But no, I no, no, go for it. What there was one year when when um, Congress was there was a poll that came out that Congress was rated lower than herpes. It was like seven <laughs> percent, and herpes was eight percent or something. I, I probably have that wrong, but and you wonder who the seven percent were. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then, um, and so then uh, Obama got up, and I, I can't remember where this was either, but I remember seeing him on stage, and he said, you don't like your politician? Get out there and vote. And that really stuck in my craw because it's actually impossible. Yeah. So then you, let's, say, let's say you want to vote out your Democratic, let's say you're Democrat, you want to vote out your Democratic congressman because you don't like him. What are you mm-hmm. going to do, vote for the Republican? There, yeah. There's nothing you can do. Well, look at this past election, right? I mean, did you, I knew, I definitely knew people who were Mm pro-Trump, which, you know, there there were people who were very pro-Trump. I don't think I knew anyone who was pro-Biden though. And that's not, I mean, I voted for him, don't get me wrong, but it was, I mean, it wasn't like I was super enthusiastic about him. It's just, he wasn't Trump. Well, you know. Just a minute ago, you were saying the polarization, and I believe this voting system creates that polarization. Yeah, because if you're if you're going to not be for Biden, you're automatically for Trump. Yeah, and, you know, like that's that's your only choice, and so people that polarization goes right into your 
you know, DNA when you're t even at the water cooler, you know, mm -hmm. the water cooler, it, you be careful if you're going to say Biden's bad there and like, oh, my God, you're a Trump supporter. Well, and that's and that's exactly it. Like, I can't say that I had tepid support for Biden because that automatically means I'm not anti-Trump enough. And yep. the flip side of it is if I want to accept the reality that it's probably more likely that a president with a 40% approval rating in the middle of an economic downturn and a pandemic lost the election when there's a 7 million popular vote gap and a 70 electoral vote gap, that automatically makes me a socialist, you know, but th that's quite literally where we are right now. Well, and that that effect is so strong in the in our voting system, and people don't even realize it. By the way, I mean, Twitter mm -hmm. is full of people talking about politics and you know getting into all these little details. They don't even realize the voting system forced them, like it just grabbed them and just pulled drug them right into this situation. They had to vote for Biden, or Trump would win. Or you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to always. In all my analogies, I'm always going to pick the the left side. By the way, because that's just who I am. Yeah, but um. I mean, and, you know, if you look at, um, you know, so you can you can take the rules of our voting system and plug them right into game theory. Mm -hmm. and you get the same result every time. You get mm -hmm. two corrupt, unaccountable parties. And mm -hmm. I tweeted that so many times, people probably are tired of it. Mm -hmm. But this thing, one mark, pigeonhole voting gives you two corrupt, unaccountable parties. That's what happens. It doesn't matter which candidates are in there and not, none of it matters yeah. because it's, it's a... It's just like when you play the game Monopoly, someone's going to monopolize it. It's not, the, mm -hmm. not some. It's not like you have to play with an evil person in order for that person to monopolize the game. Someone yeah. will monopolize the game. Yeah. And so, you know, t keeping that in mind then, so what's your alternative then? Yeah, thank you. So, so then uh, when Jill Stein mentioned ranked choice voting, I looked into it. So the idea there is, let's say you have, another, a third party, let's say you have a two dominant parties, but you have a third party that wants to get in there. And let's, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense for me if I just pick Bernie. Mm -hmm. I loved Bernie. I love all his policies. Actually, most people actually love most of Bernie's policies. Yeah. So I'm just going to use it as an example. But let's say, let's say there's Hillary Trump and Bernie ran as a third party in, in mm -hmm. 2016. Yeah. What you would do is you rank them. You say, well, I want Bernie. He's my first choice. But but if Bernie doesn't get in, I want Hillary. She's She'd be my second choice you know and then you can either say trump's your third choice or you can just not do that that's how it works yeah and when if everybody votes that way then what they do is they tally it up and they say okay who got the least number of votes and whoever first of all you see did somebody get more than 50 percent of the votes and if they did they're the winner mm -hmm. if not you take whoever got the least number of votes and the people who voted for them you use their second choice and you redistribute it among the remaining candidates. Mm -hmm. So let's say in this case, what I think would have happened is Hillary would have had the least amount of votes in those three, I would have guessed. Mm -hmm. So they would have taken all the Hillary uh, voters and taken their second choice, which hopefully would have been Bernie, Yeah, handed them to Bernie. And then I think he would have got more than 50%. So I think that's how that would have played out. I think Bernie would have won. Yeah. And even in 2016, if there were ranked choice voting in every state in the union, and we assume that Hillary was the second choice of the people voting for the Green Party, we wouldn't have a President Trump either. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And just to balance that out, 
and help some folks on the right understand how this works too. You know, a lot of folks on the right have a bad taste in their mouth over ranked choice voting because there was this situation in Maine yeah. where you know the story. Yep. Yeah, where Republican congressmen uh, won the most votes, the most first choice mm -hmm. votes, but didn't win when all the second choice votes were tallied. And so he lost. And so as a result, Republicans just have a natural aversion to uh, ranked choice voting. But the, the flip side of that, too, and I'd like to take my state of Massachusetts into account. So, you know, Massachusetts is a one party state. Um, I have never voted in a congressional election where there were two candidates, been in the same, voted in the same district my entire life. Um, there's another district just to the south of me, District 4. Uh, they, the Democratic primary is effectively the general election. Yep. There were four candidates in that election, and the person who won won 24% of the vote. So somebody who won 24% of Democrat votes, not even in a general, 24% of Democrat votes represents an entire district. And so my my call to Republicans here too is that in a state like Massachusetts where we have 30% of Republicans who are just orphaned, just aren't being heard, ranked choice voting at a minimum is a way for you to guide the candidates more towards the right or you know in this case more towards the center. And so I think, I don't know if you've thought about this at all, Mitch, but I think it's a way, even in a two-party system, it can have a moderating effect. Yeah, I mean, for sure, no one can win unless they have enough, uh, more than 50%. I mean, that's how it goes. It doesn't yeah. end until somebody's got 50%. So at least, mm -hmm. you know, at least if somebody wins, you'd say, well, he, was my, he or she was my second choice or he or she was my third choice. But at least you voted for him. Yeah. You know, whereas um, you're right with first past the post, let's say if you had 10 candidates, somebody could win with 11%. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that could actually happen. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. And, and obviously, you know, we're now we're talking uh, about opening up the door to not just Republican and Democrats, but really kind of opening the door to, you know, a much wider universe of parties. Right. Yeah. And by the way, not even parties. I mean, right now, if you're not talking party, you can't break in to this first past the post system. Mm -hmm. It takes a huge momentum and money and all this stuff to, to start to compete with another party. But if you had ranked choice voting, like I was given that example with Bernie, he could have run mm -hmm. as an independent would have won. You don't need actually a party to win. So, I mean, that's, you know, you know what I was just adding to what you're saying, because not only does it allow another party and it even allows individuals in, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really kind of brings us back to the uh, citizen democracy that we were. That's right. We were designed to be. Um, and so with the focus of the org, though, isn't necessarily on all elections, correct? It's more focused on the federal. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, well, that gets into. So um, there's a couple of things. For one thing, um, we have really our organization is two things, by the way, mm -hmm. because um, uh, right now I've seen there's actually, a, you know, several states are trying to get ranked choice voting. Right. And they're um, have ground games, you know, ground like people are getting petitions and trying to get ranked choice voting onto the referendum ballots. Mm -hmm. Right. So, in fact, Massachusetts just did that. And they actually lost. Yeah, they did. Lose. Um, Alaska actually did it and got through. So, so now we have Alaska and Maine have ranked choice voting. Um, 
So there's that, but the, but we're doing something a little different. And again, like I mentioned, our in our the way we're looking at it, it's just a means to an end. We want a system that allows you to to that breaks the spo- spoiler effect to allow you to get a new candidate in for or new candidates and actually sweeping new candidates in for 2024. Right? That's that's really our goal. But the reason we, that we're on ranked choice voting is because it does achieve that goal. But there's also so many ground games right now for getting referendums through. Mm-hmm. And also, um, um, you know, and, and what we're planning on doing is using um, referendums. But now only 26 states have the ability to have referendums. So mm-hmm. that means uh, 24 states don't have that. And uh, so we use something, we use an interstate pact. Mm-hmm. And the interstate pact forms two purposes. Um, one is, and, and what it is, is, Uh, Let's say that um, three states are in the interstate pact. It means that when they vote for the president, so this is only specific to the president, they'll get ranked choice voting for, let's say, everything from city council all the way up to their governor. Mm -hmm. For the federal election, um, they're going to combine the ranked choice results with all with the other states in the pact, Mm -hmm. and then those will all add up to. uh, They'll they'll all those states in the pact will put all their electoral delegates towards that candidate that wins the combined ranked choice voting. Okay. So the th- uh, it's kind of a subtlety, but it's very important because if right now, if a whole bunch of states just got ranked choice voting, we still have vote splitting in the electoral delegates for the presidential election. Mm-hmm. So my personal goal, and I mean, I shouldn't make it personal because this everybody needs this, yeah. but I want to make the, the Republicans and the Democrats irrelevant. In, in, my, in my mind, for the last 160 years, they have proven way beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're not they're not up to the task of of governing this country like mm-hmm. they for one thing they didn't introduce ranked choice voting for 160 years mm-hmm. you know and they know darn well that that our system right now it has a really strong bias toward those two parties in other words if if it weren't for the vote splitting effect you know something different would have happened to the Democrats and Republicans. They're just skating along on that system and they're able to get by with so much, you know, evil basically. Um, Mm -hmm. But I kind of lost track of your question because there there was a whole bunch of things in there. Yeah. You know, it's, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm, as I'm listening to you talk, it it like almost sounds like you're moving more towards a, a national popular vote in a way. Um, it's, it's very much like that. It's very much like that. But the thing is, it's really essential to have that, uh, interstate pact in order to affect the presidential election. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does another thing and which is an important part of what we're trying to do. Yeah. It incentivizes the 24 States who don't have national, who, who don't have referendum to get them involved in the interstate pact. Mm-hmm. Because what's going to happen is let's say, for example, enough States, just the 26 states that I mentioned that have referendum. Mm-hmm. So we could this could this could happen. In fact, we're planning on this. So in a couple of years, when the 2022 uh, elections come, we can have enough signatures in 26 states that that um, ranked choice voting, national ranked choice voting, will be in, on a referendum in all 26 states, and then we can vote those in when it, mm-hmm. during the 2022 election. That would mean 26 states would have national ranked choice voting. But what about the other 24 states? But anyway, those 26 states account for um, for 208 electoral delegates. Mm-hmm. So that's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But if we can get a few more of those other states, that's actually 270. Let's say we hit 270 electoral delegates worth of states that have national ranked choice voting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it kind of puts the states that aren't in the pact in kind of a weird position. Mm -hmm. because they no longer have control of the presidential election. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, I guess one, one question I have for you is, you know, one of the big obstacles that we've had to a national popular vote are a lot of states don't necessarily want to give up the power of that electoral vote or that electoral sway. Yeah. Um, have you encountered that yet or, or no? Well, again, so there's, there's two parts of our, of our, task here and very kind of distinct. One of them is uh, to the mechanics of getting all this to happen, right? There's got to be a bunch of signatures, you know, done in states, there has to be a bunch of laws written, you know, for the referendum, mm -hmm. all these things have to happen, so that it can get on the ballot. And that's a ground game, you know, that involves a movement and a lot of people doing a lot of activities. Yeah. The other part is, is just the communication to, you know, the, the messaging, and getting the word out. Mm -hmm. I feel that um, these other these other uh, ranked choice voting um, organizations and whatever that have been pushing this, and I just don't think they're doing a good job of of really nailing down what's the problem and mm -hmm. what is the solution. Mm -hmm. And you know, like if you talk to people, well, if you look at the messaging, you hear stuff like uh, you know, ranked choice voting is you know people like it, or you'll see you know like they're they're happy because they have more choices. Or you hear, you know, um, I, I haven't looked at all the messaging, but that's the kind of thing I've been hearing. Or, or if there's a runoff, it saves money because yeah. it, can, it can handle a runoff. But when I look at it, I say, we don't even have democracy. Ranked choice voting gives us democracy. Yeah. Well, and I, I think part of the reason might be timing, too, because a lot of the ranked choice voting advocates... And a lot of the folks who've advocated for things like proportional representation, which this podcast is built around, mm -hmm. um, were also doing so at a time when the government was more representative, I think, of, of the will of the people. And you have to go back for that. Um, and I think we're at a time now where things have reached just such a fever pitch that I, I think a lot of people understand that our choice is either electoral reform or civil war, quite literally. Yeah, exactly. And, right. and I'm not saying that like dramatically. I'm, you know, the reality is, is right now the objective of both parties is to just own the other party. You know, the objective of both parties is to own every chamber of government. And the, to, in their opinion, the other party is literally a threat to the stability of the country. And, you know, people, whether they know it or not, are advocating for one party rule. That's a really dangerous spot to be in. I mean, a lot of people argue it is one party rule. Yeah. But this is the perfect time I, I want to tell you about. Um, so we're, we're working on a paper right now and mm -hmm. the results are pretty striking. So mm -hmm. what we did is we took so, you know, in uh, 1860, they had an election and it put the Democrat. Repl the um, Republican Party replaced the Whig Party, and it became Republican and Democrat. Yes. In 1860, right? Yes. So what I did is, that was 160 years ago. Mm -hmm. So what, what we did is we just took all the uh, 
Um, you can go through each election, you can say how many people voted for Democrats and Republicans and how many people voted for not Democrats and Republicans. So we just split it up that way, right? And over 160 years, which is 40 elections, mm -hmm. um, over 40 elections, presidential elections, the percentage of people that voted outside of the Democrats and Repo Republicans is 5%. So... Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and what we're doing in the paper right now is we're, we're proposing, like, here's all the possible reasons that could possibly happen. But really, none of them, none of them really stick at all. I mean, are Democrats and Republicans really that good that they got 95% of all votes for 160 years? It's implausible and, oh. and, and totally doesn't match what we know right now. I mean, they're horrible right now. We are going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment with Mitch Randall. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Mitch. And as I mentioned at the top of the episode, as I record this, the Capitol is occupied by a mob that believes the election was stolen. And we got here because our current system of electing people to office breeds division and mistrust. And in a system where districts are carved to favor one party and elections are decided by the person who can win one more vote than second place, elections are won by appealing to the most partisan and painting the opposition as the enemy of the people rather than running on the merits of your platform. And as a result, voter turnout in this country is amongst the lowest among peer nations, and we currently sit in the midst of the biggest crisis in American democracy since the Civil War. Now, by implementing reforms such as ranked choice voting and proportional representation, we can change the incentives of those running for office so that they seek out the majority of voters rather than trying to make themselves the least worst choice. And if you haven't done so yet, this is your wake-up call to get involved. You can have a big impact locally, and there are numerous organizations looking to reform elections in states and municipalities around the country. Google and ye shall find. And if you're having issues finding one, come to the YDHTY website at ydhty.com. Fill out the contact us form at the bottom of the homepage, and I'll be glad to point you in the right direction. You can also get me on social media with the hashtag YDHTY. We can't expect change if we keep doing things the same. I hope you'll join me in the fight. It's the fact that the structure of our elections is such that you can't, there's no room for a third. Well, that's what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. the obvious cause of this is first past the post system. Yep. The yep. one word pigeonhole voting. So that's, that's the ultimate cause of this. And and I'm not saying like because it was rigged. No, I'm saying the legal, official, sanctified voting system gives a 95 point advantage to the Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know, like when I when I discovered this or, you know, kind of looked at it in this way, this quantitative way. Yeah. And you can make that statement because it's, you know, statistically true. We, mm -hmm. we looked at it. So 95% or a 95 point advantage goes to the Democrats and Republicans because of this vote splitting effect from first past the post. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're up against. If you're a, a third party and you're saying, you know, Hey, let's fight the Democrats and Republicans. 
That's what you're looking at. They have a 95 point advantage. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like completely a showstopper. I mean, there's people that are, you know, uh, very excited about the fact that a, that a truck drove down from, from New York to Pennsylvania with a, with a bunch of ballots in it, you know, and that, and that's election fraud. Mm -hmm. What is that? One per, you know, 0.1% of possible ballots or what, Mm -hmm. you know, what kind of number is that? And at the same time, right in front of her face, mm-hmm. there's a 95% point advantage going to the Democrats and Republicans because of our voting system. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting little statistic for you as well, is that if you account for voter turnout, the, the president or the, the person who won the most of the popular vote uh, was Barack Obama, I think still even after this last election. Okay. And he only won by 33% of voters. Because even in a presidential election, even in the most talked about, most popular election uh, in America, uh, voter turnout usually hovers between 50 and 60%. It's abysmally low. Yeah, it's abysmally low. And a lot of it, and if you look, there's this U, right? And in terms of voter turnout, and on either side, You've got the highest level of voter turnout. As you get more and more extreme, your likelihood of voting goes up dramatically. Right. Yep. Yep. Moderates far less. You know. Well, I mean, it, once for one thing, the effect that we saw with this ninety-five point advantage mm-hmm. is exactly what you see when when you just look at first past the post as, as a as a game theory problem. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you get, right? And then the you know what you're saying also just fits right into the pattern. I mean, uh, of course, everybody, I mean, we can't put it into words. We can't quantify it. But everybody knows, why would I even vote? It's not yeah. working. Like, everybody just knows it. You feel it. You know, like, what am I going to vote for those two people? I don't like either one of them. And you know darn well that, that uh, one of the third parties, I mean, there's multiple parties, right? I had There was 15, I think, uh, possible presidential candidates on, on my ballot in Colorado, mm-hmm. right? But, I mean, you know for sure. None of them are going to win, except it's either going to be Trump or Biden. You just know that. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just the calculus of it, and that's just the result of it. So, I mean. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there are folks who, again, getting back to Massachusetts, you know, I think it was like 30% uh, voted for Trump or something to that effect. And that's 30% who knew they had a 0% chance of having their vote heard. And so you can only imagine what voter turnout would look like if people knew that they might actually have an impact on the election and if they knew they could vote their conscience as well. Exactly. Right. I mean, uh, um, I can't even imagine. I think I heard a thing that it's like 25% of voters are Republican, 25% are Democrat and the rest are don't vote. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge fraction that just don't vote. I mean, when you think of it that way, I mean, it's the non-voters completely could control the election. And, oh, but they're completely disenfranchised. I mean, they, of course, they're probably the smart people, right? <laughs> they, know, they know this is just a joke, basically. Well, if you, if you look at the coalitions, too, that make up the parties, they're typically people who are under some sort of real or perceived threat, you know? And so if you are... Uh, if you are uh, a minority, if you are LGBTQ, if mm-hmm. abortion is a primary issue for you, if guns is a primary issue for you, if you live 
in a rural former mill town that has seen economic devastation due to trade agreements. You know, if you're in a union, these are the people who naturally gravitate and to the, to the parties and, and become part of that coalition because they're really legitimately voting, um, you know, for their interests. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think as a result, what happens is you get these coalitions of, of that these these coalitions that really aren't built for compromise and aren't built for ideas you know we don't we don't have that marketplace of ideas that this country was designed to be and it's all and i don't know if you know this mitch do you know why we're first past the post please no actually i don't because that's the way they did it in england there you go i'm 100 percent serious we kicked out the king and we kept his voting system and we probably would have been better doing the reverse. Um, <laughs> That's so true. You know, you when you have no control over who's elected, which I would say that's where we are right now, right? Because yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's easy to wrap your head around. If we had a voting system that gave that favored Republicans by ninety-five points, everyone would detect that. They'd mm-hmm. say, you know, this is screwed up. It's favoring, but we have a voting system that favors two parties by ninety-five points. So that like. It very kind of a little hard to wrap your head around because it feels like you still have some choice to vote between a Republican and a Democrat. And so we yeah. still have a democracy, but that's not the case. We, no. we, you know, 95% of our will is gone. Basically that's what that means. Yeah. It, and so we, you know, definitely on board with, <laughs> with the idea that we need to, change the game. We need to change the incentive structure for politicians uh, in order to really make this a more effective democracy. And, I, and I'd add to, to, to everybody listening is that, you know, ultimately, like, politicians are going to be politicians. So it's not like we get some voting system and, you know, all of a sudden, the entire city of Washington, D.C. is filled with you know, altar boys. I mean, it's still going to be the same types of people. It's just the incentives they have to campaign a certain way and the incentives they have to behave a certain way in office are going to be different. And right now their incentives are such that they play to the base and play to their donor play to their, uh, play to the donors as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I really think that Biden's Biden's platform was not Trump, right? I mean, that's really what it was. Right. Right. That's a hundred percent. Like, could you tell, like, I mean, Mitch, I don't know if if you have an opinion on this, but I couldn't tell you what the democratic platform is today. I can't either. And this is somebody I I'll just, I'm always upfront about my voting record. Right. I voted for McCain over Obama. Okay. Okay. I was a, I was a diehard Republican for a very long time. Okay. And then, so I did, I did McCain. Then I did Gary Johnson in 2012. And because I'm in Massachusetts, who cares? And then 2016 came and I voted for Clinton. I didn't have to vote for Hillary. She was going to win Massachusetts anyway, but mm-hmm. I was that turned off by Trump. And so yeah. that's the, my, my voting is entirely not Trump. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, and I'd, I'd like to vote, you know, I voted for Sanders in the democratic primary. I supported Bernie Sanders. I voted for John McCain in the Republican primary back in 2000. I really supported him. And go yeah. on, sorry. No, no. So uh, ranked choice voting, 
um, it, that's not a, that doesn't work. There is no campaign that uh, that can run where you say not that guy. That, yeah, it doesn't even work. So you can't campaign that way. You can only campaign on positive things. Now, that's a general statement. Of course, you could yeah. have a bad campaign or whatever. But basically, the things that stick are the positive things when you have ranked choice voting. Because negative things don't work. There can be multiple candidates. You can't say not Trump because there's three others. Yeah. Okay, not Trump and not you. So <laughs> one of the three others, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like the line goes, if you're going to vote for the lesser of two evils, you're still choosing evil. Yeah, exactly. And so, and granted, look, that's the system we have now. I would not tell anybody to stay home on election day. On the same token, why do we keep playing this over and over again? You know, why do we keep doing it this way? You know, so, oh, go on. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you, but like, I have so much to say about that because there's a lot of, you know, the vote shaming, right? Mm-hmm. Or people call voters despicable or, you know, they, they make these judgments about people. Mm-hmm. What, what has really occurred to me is, again, like you can put this into a game, into game theory. And it doesn't matter how you model the people. They mm-hmm. all do the same thing. You ha- you're forced into it. We're really victims of this voting system. Mm-hmm. And um, even the polarization, the extreme polarization is even part of this victimization of the, of the voting system. Because if you're not totally for this guy, then you're partly for the other guy. And, that, and it's a dichotomy. And one of the two is going to win. Yeah. So, I mean, I, oh, so go on. Go on. It, Sorry. For me, it really... It really um, I even came to the conclusion that, that, you know, left and right is fake. Mm-hmm. It, left and right is, is manufactured, in my opinion, manufactured by the, by, um, you know, by the media. And you could see it because, for example, when Bernie got up on the Fox Town Hall like two years ago, whenever that was, mm-hmm. they were talking about his thing. He got a standing ovation mm-hmm. from Fox viewers. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody wants, you know, good things for people. We all want good things for people. Yeah. And, and I think especially, you know, what happened in 2016 is there were a lot of Republicans who, who, who weren't big fans of Trump in the beginning. I actually know most of the people I know who are still pro Trump today um, were not fans during the primaries, Mm -hmm. but you know, what happened was it was the constant browbeating from the other side that really just stiffened them. And, you know, I think like Hillary's basket of deplorables comment really is like case in point is, is case in point uh, part, you know, I think exemplifies the problem, which Uh which is that um, even in the face of somebody like Trump, who a lot of people don't like, I don't think anybody voted for him even the people who still support him don't think he's necessarily a good person, you know, but they also see this other side that just looks at them as racist and ignorant and just the whole litany of insults. And it just doesn't do anything. You know, it just doesn't do anything to make people any more amenable to hearing alternative points of view. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes they call it a horseshoe, you know, then instead of saying it's a left-right spectrum, they call it a horseshoe because yeah. you get the extremes on either end. Like there was people that would have voted for Bernie, but since he, yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, I, they, or, you know, because it's not a line, it's a horseshoe, but yeah. I actually think it's a spectrum. I think, I think they have, here's left and right, which we're all used mm-hmm. to thinking about. 
But I think the spectrum is this. I think it's people versus corporations. And that yeah. left-right stuff is just fake. That's just to divide us, to keep us distracted so we don't realize it's corporations dominating people. And it's always been that way. That's right. Always. I mean, yep. to give you a little statistic, back in 1940, if you were a Democrat, you were in the party that was most likely to both support and oppose uh, segregation. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's so they've always been these like mismatched coalitions. Huh. Um, so, you know, maybe take us forward then. So let's just go to 2024. Whoops. Let's just go to 2024. And your initiative is passed. Like, what do you see happening? What do you see changing? Yeah, well, uh, well, okay. To, to get there, let's just say like, we're in an oligarchy now. And yeah. what does it mean? So uh, back to this little thing, I'm saying like, there's people and there's corporations. Mm-hmm. Right now, the government is owned and operated by corporations. And if you don't believe me, uh, I mean, you know, th- this is why we see, the, you know, I think it was like $7 trillion now have gone to corporations for stimulus. But there's- how much trillion has gone to people for stimulus? Yeah. Nothing. I mean, um, you know, I, I could sit here and make the case for that we have an oligarchy, but I, I'm hoping that's kind of obvious to most people. If, if, if there's anybody watching this or listening to this who doesn't uh, believe that or doesn't quite buy it, there's actually a study done by Princeton. Yes. You, you, you know it. Why don't you say it? Because Yeah, the 2014 study by Princeton, what they did is they took the last 20 years, it was some 1,800 uh, um, policies that got passed. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly it, yeah. Exactly. And they, they took the, the, all those things and they correlated them with popular opinion. Mm-hmm. So what you would expect to see is if something was supported by 100% of the people, then its likelihood of that passing would be 100%. And if it's supported by 0% of the people, you'd expect to see that it's a, you know, the likelihood of it passing is 0%. Mm-hmm. So what they saw is a flat line, meaning mm-hmm. no matter how much it's supported or, or disliked by the general population, it had about a 33% chance of passing, but they found because they had different categories. One of them was general population. One of them was basically rich donor, the, the wealth class. Yeah. And the wealth class had that line. Like if they didn't want it, it did not get passed. Mm-hmm. If they wanted it, pretty good chance of it getting passed. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're exactly right. I mean, that is basically scientific proof that we, that we live in an oligarchy. We're, we're not listened to. Our, our opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, literally. And And what that means, though, is so we had Bernie up there and he was generating a lot of excitement. And I mean, for me, especially because he spoke things that would actually make a difference to me, like Medicare for all. I'm uh, self-employed. I pay a huge amount of money for my insurance Mm -hmm. and I have a seven thousand dollar deductible. I mean, I don't even understand why I have insurance except it's basically catastrophic insurance right you you better hope you really get hurt (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) you know you don't want to blow it on like a sprained ankle or something like no no no. let's get like appendicitis or a cardiac arrest or something like that where you have um I mean like free college uh tuition free college you have um I guess um 90 percent of the people support free daycare oh yeah I mean, that would affect so many people. Imagine all the single parents. What, what are you going to do? I mean, um, even, even in a couple situation where sometimes one person said, well, I can't even make enough money to count for the daycare. I, might, I just have to stay home because that's the, the best economical thing I can do. Yeah. And, 
And to frame this too, it, these issues in today's conversation, right? You know, you go up and you say, well, I support free daycare. And automatically you've got, uh, you know, folks on the right, like, well, you just want free stuff, like holding up pictures of Hugo Chavez and, <laughs> you know, crying socialism. Yeah. So there's stuff people want and we're just not getting it because it's too easy for the major parties to label it as either too red, too blue. I mean, so it blows my mind because it's so weird. It's like you have people in government and then you have a government mm-hmm. and some other, just a group of people who are trying to deal, you know, trying to take care of the money that we give in taxes. That's all yeah. that government is supposed to be. It's supposed to be us. Yeah. And of course, like we're going to take that money. And we're going to figure out how to make it easy for the rest of us. That's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. For some reason they think, no, we're supposed to take that money and give $740 billion to the military mm-hmm. you know, to, to kill people in other countries. Like, uh, Not even just take that money. Borrow that money. <laughs> there you go. You know, like they're not even ta- – like ta- I wish it was just taxes. Right. You know, I wish. I mean, there was, there was a great line by uh, AOC – uh, who said, you know, the stimulus is evidence that funding of programs like Medicare for All and the Green New Deal aren't a question of funding. It's a question of political will. Exactly. And and that that's really kind of what we're dealing with now. And so I know I kind of got you off topic here. I was asking, well, like, what do you well, think? Really. Because, because it... Go because- on. What I wanted to say was, like, mm-hmm. just, to aff- just to affirm that we have an oligarchy and then affirm what it means. What it means is, like, there's the top 15 policies that people want that help mm-hmm. people, like, just directly help people, like a UBI, you know, universal basic income, yep. seriously help people, you know, like, end homelessness. There's a bunch of, like, we could make a list and we could take a poll and you find that, like, the top 15 things are not in either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party's platform. Mm-hmm. So that's what an oligarchy means. And that's why it's not acceptable. I mean, one of the things the oligarchy doesn't really care about so much is our planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we want to save the planet. The oligarchy just wants to make money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and so do you, in your mind then, you know, this passes do you think all of a sudden we have presidential candidates who are taking on these positions or, or what do you, what do you see happening? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where I was getting at is, yeah. is you're, we're stuck right now in this oligarchy. And what that means is we don't get anything for our tax money, for all the money we're borrowing. We get nothing in return. It's all going to, to corporations. They're benefiting from all this, which is not how it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. But the reason it works is because we're completely locked in, to the Democratic and the Republican Party by that 95-point advantage that we get from first past the post. Yeah. It all just disallows any other candidates. Yeah. So of course, when we have ranked choice voting, other candidates can come out of the woodwork and, you know, just representing the top 15 policies. Mm-hmm. I mean, why wouldn't they win? They mm-hmm. say, when I get in office, I'm going to do the top 15 things that you want. Mm-hmm. And so, like, obviously, uh, people are going to vote for that. And they realize they can vote for it because it's not going to cause, you know, Trump to win or cause whoever else that you don't, you know, Tucker Carlson or whatever (laughs) to win, whatever that's going to happen in in 2024. Just four years away, Mitch, just four years away. So, I mean, I'm really trying to bring it home because this oligarchy isn't just like a word and it's not just kind of annoying or something. This is affecting, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm in this 
mm-hmm. is because everyone around me is suffering, including me. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm privileged. I'm a white male privileged. You know, yeah. I can't say I'm suffering so much. But everyone around me is suffering. I mean, I know younger people, there's no way that they could afford a house. They can barely afford an apartment. You know, I mean, every, everywhere I look, I see suffering. Yeah. I think, what's the point of this suffering? Like, what? why are we suffering? Because there's wealthy people are not suffering at all. The stock yeah. market is like booming. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. t- I mean, here's a, here's a weird thing I'm just going to throw out because, yeah. uh, uh, you know, you got me on and I'm rambling now. But here we go. <laughs> go for it. Let's ramble. You go to you go down any street in America, any residential street in America, houses all over the place, right? Yeah. And think every one of those houses is on a mortgage. They're all paying, let's say, average a thousand dollars a month towards mm-hmm. in, interest. You know, the rest is yeah. going to principal. Maybe maybe you know seventy five dollars is going to principal, and a thousand of it is going to interest. You know, but every household in America, let's just say, because it's it's not that implausible. Is sending a thousand dollars to some bank for what? Because the bank is going to send them, you know, uh, every <laughs> all the bank is doing is every month sends them a check. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just absolutely nuts. This system is so out of whack. The way mm-hmm. that the whole thing works is completely out of whack. And the reason it can be out of whack is because we have no power to change it. Mm-hmm. Zero power. There's no no Democrat or Republican is going to say, "I want to," you know, "I want to break up the big banks." Yeah. Or put a cap on interest. And so to really like, I think, summarize this for the the folks who are watching and the folks who are listening, um, you know, the reason that the two major parties can do this is because they're insulated from competition. And like any other system, when you insulate them from, when you insulate a system from competition, you end up with less superior models or inferior models. You don't end up with the best ideas. Um, and so the idea behind ranked choice voting is open that up, open it up to a broader diversity of ideas, give people the opportunity to promote and stand behind policies that people actually endorse. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, here's the next question for you, because we've talked a lot about the oligarchy. We've talked right. a lot about the power structure. How mm-hmm. do you get through that? So that's the that's the trick. Like mm-hmm. you can't go to your politicians and say, "Hey, can you change the voting system for us because we want to vote you out?" Yes, I'd like to make it harder for you to win. Yeah, that that doesn't can you work. Just write up a bill or something to do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um so so the idea of our of our program is we we thought for one thing, you know, all the people that were following Bernie and I felt so hopeful when I was following Bernie. I thought, my God, what if we could end homelessness? And I, I pull up on a corner and there's not a homeless guy there with a sign. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just felt so great to me. And then uh, and then Biden, that whole thing with Biden, and all of a sudden that whole movement just got its head cut off. Yep. A bunch of people, yep. we, we all want good things, but we have no way, nothing to grab onto that will get us that new thing. So here's where we step in with breaktheduopoly.org. Because we have a we have a plan where people, without asking politicians, people can do a very simple procedure, which is to sign petitions for a referendum, and then get a get policies on a ballot, mm-hmm. and and then vote for those to turn them into law in 2022, which will give us the ability to vote those guys out. Mm-hmm. And you know, to me, 
But that to me, to me, that's like, I want something I can actually do. I am tired of begging my politicians to do the right thing. We, we've, it's been proven now. They don't do the right thing. Yeah. And they're going to do the right thing. So I want to do it myself. I want to go sign that petition. Then I want to vote it into law. And then I want to vote in a new party. Yeah. And part of what I say, you know, when I said at the beginning of this, that we're really a means to an end. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really matter how we get there. We want new representation. Then we can talk about all the ins and outs of all the policies we really want, you know, and, and maybe maybe there's a better voting system. But right now, the way to get to that point is by doing national rank choice voting. And it's something that we can all, you know, actually do. It's really just limited by our own determination. Given that I'm running out of battery power here, um, <laughs> I want to make sure that the folks who this resonated with are able to take action. So if I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, I'm a hundred percent team, Mitch, I want to help. How can they help? Uh, we'll go to break the duopoly.org mm -hmm. and um, sign up for the, for the newsletter and you'll get an invite to the, uh, to the weekly organizing call. Yep. So that's where we're building this movement. And the other thing you can do is just simply spread the word. Like, um, it's not like we're one of the many plans to break to end the oligarchy. There, I have not seen any plans. I mean, people talk about other, uh, you know, other things. They say, you know, like I want Medicare for all. I want, you know, to reduce uh, student debt or something like that, or you know, get money out of politics. But these aren't plans. These are just wishes. Like mm -hmm. I wish there was no money in politics. But what we have is, for as far as I know, the only plan where people can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. They can get on the streets, they can get those signatures, they can get in this new system and then vote in who they want in 2024. And believe me, if we have ranked choice voting, we're going to have plenty of candidates in 2024 that you're going to want to vote for. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what to do is, you know, I would I would recommend getting on our mailing list and getting and that will get you into our um, national organizing call and we can get something done. Again. You can learn more about Mitch and his organization at breaktheduopoly.org. And if you like this episode, please share. And if you're not a subscriber already, now would be your invitation to do so. Now, the electoral reform organizations we've interviewed prior have all had a local focus, whereas Mitch is going after the whole hamburger. It's ambitious, but... Given past guests have said the biggest problem getting RCV implemented is voter education, a national strategy could, at the very least, get the idea into the heads of people who don't know there are other ways to get folks into office. And best case scenario, we could find ourselves in a place where we don't need to make the choice between the candidate you want and the candidate you really don't want, which would probably result in fewer people storming the Capitol. Might be nice. As always, theme music, courtesy of QuellerTag. YDHTY's editorial advisor is the ad man, Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is painstakingly produced in North Carolina, United States of America by the big Gino, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Bye-bye.